Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I have a guest. We're going to be chatting with author Donna Heeman. She just wrote a book that came out this spring called Tea by the Sea. And Gail, I think last week or the week before last, we talked about it and she raved about it. So we're excited to talk to Donna today about the book and to talk about our favorite books that have a setting basically as a main part of the story or kind of like an additional character. So we will do our thing and get into what books Donna likes to read, what shaped her reading and how she came to writing. So we're just excited to talk about all that stuff. But I guess we'll kick it off as usual and just go around and do a little version of what we've been reading. Sounds good. Donna, you want to kick us off? Well, you know, the funny thing is that with, you know, this entire coronavirus thing, my reading has fallen off significantly. And I'm uh, trying join the very club. Hard. <laughs> yeah, join the club. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying very hard to get back into it. So what I decided to do was to start with short stories. So the book that I'm actually reading now is a collection of short stories by a Jamaican-Canadian writer called Frank Plantin. And the author is Zalika Reed Bento. So I've just started it and I'm hoping that trying to read shorter will certainly get me back into reading. And the second one that I have next on my list, another collection of short stories, is How to Love a Jamaican. And that Ooh, one Oh, I read that one. That's a good ago. one. Okay. Hope I like it as much as you do. I think I have that book in the house somewhere. That looked really good. Well, the good thing about short stories is that usually you can move a few pages and you have at least that completion of, of one story under your belt. Right. We talked about this a lot. I had a big problem in terms of reading anything. And I think what kickstarted me was reading something I normally would not read, which is kind of like a horror novel. Ultimately, I thought the book was not as deep as I would have liked, <laughs> but I guess that's par for the course sometimes with horror, but it got me flipping pages and I guess it exercised that muscle memory of reading. So that was good. So what about you, Gail? Well, let's see. I finished a book that you and I talked about last week, Craigslist Confessional. This is the collection of confessions from strangers to the author that she collected on Craigslist. And it's kind of the same thing, short stories-esque. Each chapter is only about maybe five to six pages and it's people confessing something about their lives. Usually it's about love or loss, regret, addiction, identity, things like that. This was ideal because kind of like the short stories, you could just break them off piece by piece rather than attempting a whole book. I also just finished a book that I'm sure very few people <laughs> listening to this show are necessarily going to want to read. It's called Buzzsaw, and it's the story of how the Washington Nationals won the World Series last fall. <laughs> so for me, riveting reading. My son and I read it together. We read it out loud. It took a while because I was narrating it. But my guess is if you're not either an intense Nats fan or an intense baseball fan, you're probably not going to want to pick that up. But I found it thoroughly enjoyable. And what's um, with it? So the title is Buzzsaw. How does Buzzsaw. that? Fit? Great question. So Don, I see that you're from Maryland or you're living in Maryland. Are you, did you follow the Nats last fall at all? I don't know. If I know they won, but I know nothing else <laughs> about it. <that. laughs> 
So at one point, Steven Strasburg, who is one of the Nats' two ace pitchers, was saying how he feels like for the Nationals, who have like sort of made it just to the edge of the playoffs in many, many seasons, and that they always seem to choke right when it matters. He says it seems like every year the Nationals run into a buzzsaw that cuts short their chances. And he goes, maybe this year were the buzzsaw. So that's where the title came from. Okay. So anyway, I finally finished that. And then Nicole, I think I mentioned to you last time I was reading a book called The Sweeney Sisters by Leanne Dolan. And I'm about halfway through and it's a pleasant book kind of about rich people problems. That's like holding my attention just enough to keep me going, but it's not the like addictive read that I really need right now. So I'm kind of looking forward to finishing this so that I can jump into something that I'm hoping will get me a little more sucked in. So it's not Mm. a bad book at all. It's just like we've talked about, we all need different things at different times with this pandemic. And right now what I'm needing is something that's going to grab me. And this one is not quite doing it, but I'll finish it and then I'll report back on what I picked. How about you? Okay. So you're going to laugh. I finally finished a book. I mean, this is how slow my reading pace is. It's usually a lot slower in audio and I haven't been anything, but I went back to look it up. Fortunately, I had recorded it in Goodreads because I have not been tracking my books there lately, but I finished Very Nice by Marcy Dermansky. And I started this book back on March 29th. So it took me (laughs) four months to read this book. (laughs) How did you like it? I mean, I liked it. It's not like it wasn't a good book, but it was just one of those things that I started listening. I guess we had only been home a couple of weeks by that point. And I started listening to it and just could not, yeah, just couldn't track with it. I mean, lately I have been, been trying to set up a little section of my apartment to be my home office. Like I had a place that I had been using, but I recently have just committed to the fact that this is probably going to be on and off or whatever, you know, some presence in my life for the next six months to a year. So I I really do need some kind of little dedicated space and dedicated setup and got myself a second screen and all of these things. So I've been listening as I've been setting that up, which is why I was able to to finally finish. And very nice is about people who are not very nice and not doing very nice things. I guess it's about this young woman who seduces her college professor, but he somehow, when she babysits his dog, he ends up coming to live in her home town. I think they live in in Connecticut somewhere, some Tony neighborhood in Connecticut, and he becomes involved with her mother. So there's just all of these complicating factors of him spending the summer with this family and what happens. And so, I don't know, it's kind of nice to read something where no one is particularly nice. It's not like you root for any character, sort of privileged people misbehaving. And I finally finished that up. I don't know, maybe I wasn't in the mood for privileged people these last few months. And so now I was able to power on through. But I I like Marcy Domanski books. Her main characters are always people that I guess you would probably call an anti-hero. You know, they're never people who have their lives together. They're always, it's always very messy. The people who get taken in, I don't know that you have a lot of sympathy for them because they're not necessarily people that you root for, but I, I don't know. I love her books. They're so interesting. Like that red car. I have car. to check it. Yeah, the red car. And then there was my favorite, which is Bad Marie. I have to see what else she has written because I might actually be a completist for her or I'm on my way. So, and I'm reading Mexican Gothic. So I'm still reading that, which has, you know, it is as the name would hint, it is set in a 
haunted house in Mexico. And so it, it definitely has a sense of place. It's like this, it's set in the 1950s, but even for that, this place is just isolated and seems like it's out of time and plays a big part in the book. So very relevant to our topic today. Got it. All right. Well, Donna wrote a book called Tea by the Sea, which I read earlier this year. And it is a book that takes place in Brooklyn and Jamaica. And so we thought it might be interesting to talk to Donna a little bit about how she chose to pick those two settings and what it was like to write in two different settings and just a little bit more about her writing process and this book. So do you want to give us a little background and fill us in on how you settled on these two places? Sure. The places themselves, you know, were in some ways just natural to the story or natural for me. I grew up in Jamaica and then I, when I moved here, I lived in Brooklyn for about eight or so years. So those are two places that I know very well. But when I first started thinking about the book itself, one of the first things that came to my mind was that I wanted to set a story in, uh, have a group of people in a church and refusing to leave that church. And the church in my mind was somewhere in Brooklyn. At that point, I didn't exactly know which church or, or where exactly, but I just had a sense that it was in Brooklyn. But the first part of the story that I started writing was a section in the third part of it where Plum is is getting her two daughters ready for school and she drops the children off and starts heading down the subway to go to work. And so I knew that she was in Brooklyn. It, you know, it just simply began with her being in Brooklyn. So I knew that was going to be one place where a portion of the story was set. So instead of actually getting on the train, what Plum does at that point is she turns away and she starts walking towards that church. So then I was, you know, I knew those two parts of the story, but I didn't know exactly why she was in that church. So the third piece of it was a few weeks after I wrote that section, I was in Jamaica and there's a radio program that comes on called Sunday Contact. And it's a program where people can call in to look for people they have lost touch with, family members, friends, whomever. And so for the, on that particular day when I was there, a woman called in, a mother looking for her son. And what she knew was that the child's father had taken the boy, but she didn't know where they were. So when I heard that, I knew that I wanted to write a story about that woman's plight or about the search for a child that was taken away. And so I knew that a portion of it would also then be set in Jamaica. And so, you know, that really is how the two locations came about. Now, did you ever find out what happened in that real life story? You know, no, I did not. Every now and then, you know, people will call in and, you know, tell the results of their search. And it could be a few weeks after, you know, the first call. It wasn't around long enough to hear her call back. And I, you know, I I don't know how long it took. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you never know if the person is going to call back or not. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So did you write the book sequentially? Like, did you do the entire Jamaica section first and then turn to the Brooklyn? Or were you, what's your process for how you write your book? Yeah, I went back and forth. I I generally move around in whatever it is that I'm writing. And generally, because I don't necessarily know where the story is going or I I don't outline, I don't have a strong sense of 
exactly where it's going. Sometimes I know where I want to end up, but I don't necessarily know what happens in the middle. So I, I move around a lot in the story until I figure out exactly where it's going and how it's going to come together. So I think in this case, I had some pieces of the Brooklyn portion written. And as I began to flesh out the characters, then I would write each separate piece. So it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process that I think some writers would, you know, just simply can't work with. But, you know, it, it works for me because it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me thinking. You know, I'm, I'm as surprised about what happens as I hope readers are. Did you find one of those easier or harder to write than the other? In terms of place, no, because I think there were both places that I knew relatively well. And I think the hardest part for me to write really was one of the characters, the daughter, Opal. And I had initially intended to write it with three perspectives, the Plum's perspective, the mother's perspective, Lenworth's perspective, and the child's. And that was hers was just simply a lot harder to write. And so I ended up shifting and focusing on just the parents on their story. And were you in either location while you were writing about that location? No, I wrote most of it here in Maryland. In the setting in Jamaica, the house in Anchovy is actually my grandparents' house. It's the house in which my father grew up and I wanted to write a story about that particular place. I wanted to describe it fully, which, you know, I, I, I did in the book and it's house. It's still in my family. But at the time when I was writing it, I, the house was rented. So I really didn't have access to it. I couldn't go in and walk around as I, you know, would have liked to have done to, you know, really feel and re-experience the house again. You know, so I, a lot of that I wrote from my memory, my recollection of what the place was, of what that house is like, about what I knew and remember about that town itself, Anchovy. And mm-hmm. then um, Brooklyn, the section in Brooklyn where I wrote, where Plum was living was one place where I had actually lived for about four or five years. So I had a good sense, you know, in my head, what that place was like, what I wanted to write about, how I wanted to describe it, where I wanted Plum to go. So a lot of that was memory more than actually having to go and re-experience it. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that writing or reading is pretty difficult. Has this time been conducive to writing for you? Not as much as I hoped. I have written some things. I usually shorter pieces over the last. And I think one of the good things about having a book coming out around this time was that I, there was no real pressure to write, to finish something because I had just finished a book or I had, well, shouldn't say just finished. Well, I did just finish a book, but I was also gearing up to start promoting a book. So some of, I, you know, wasn't concentrating as much on writing a longer book as much as writing shorter pieces. So whatever I ended up writing, you know, was shorter essays more so than, you know, trying to concentrate on a long involved novel. It's been difficult all around. And I think there are so many writers who are, you know, struggling with getting words on the page now. I think some of us, you know, came into this thinking, okay, we'll use this opportunity to do a bunch of different things in the time. <laughs> this time period yep. has just had other ideas 
Yeah, I think when it first started, there were some essays written about, you know, using this time to, you know, write that novel you always wanted to write. (laughs) And I think those people who, you know, who have written novels, you know, I knew and understood that, you know, it would be just very difficult to just say that this is what I'm going to do and actually get it done. So before we get into asking you some more of our questions, I guess let's talk a little bit about our theme for the day, which is setting and talk a little bit about, do you have any favorites for us where the setting is a character in the novel? Yes. Well, one that I absolutely loved is The Monsters of Templeton by Lauren Groff. I don't know Mm. if you've read that one, but it's set in a place called Templeton. And, you know, one of the things that Lauren Groff said in the, you know, introduction to the book, or she wrote, wrote a short introduction, was that she wanted to write about the place where she grew up called Cooperstown. And I believe that's in New York. Once she started writing the book, the place itself, I mean, shifted and it became something different. But even from the very first page of the story, the setting is just significant to the overall story. It opens with a young woman going back home after, you know, being away at college and coming back to her town to find that a monster has risen from a lake. So, you know, if a monster is rising from the lake, there's a lot of story about that town itself, about this lake, about the myths around the monster and around the lake. That's just going to be important to the story. And, you know, she follows it through to the end because the primary narrator in the story, the character in the story is trying to uncover some things about the town itself and about her family and her family's involvement in building the town or the village. And so it it just really becomes, the setting is the character in the story itself. That's so interesting. I haven't read that book by her. I've wanted to read it for years. I think she, I would guess just from having read half of Fates and Furies and also reading her collection of short stories, Florida, that she tends to be a writer who her books are very atmospheric and they tend to focus on setting as part of the character. I mean, her collection of short stories is called Florida. And, you know, the creeping menace of the heat, you know, the people against animal life, it's just so prominent in the book, you know, like Florida in terms of how man has not completely been able to subjugate nature, you know, with, like I said, wildlife and the heat and how that shapes people's lives and and their experiences. So I would say that's one of my setting books, just to piggyback off what you said. And just in terms of reading Face and Furies, like in the beginning, when they talk about this town where the main character whose name escapes me right now is from, you know, it's, it's these small Southern towns where the water has shaped who they are because, you know, basically the water is how this family has made its money. And then he goes on to boarding school in New York. So there's always such a sense of place. I, you know, and from what you say of Monsters of Templeton, it seems like she is someone who uses that a lot in her writing. I'm trying to remember the name of that main character from Fates and Furies. It's something, yeah, it's something He's he's named after yeah he's named after like some famous or something something yeah I feel like his name should be Odysseus or it's not but it's something something like that something striking Um, like that and I'm on Amazon and no one is mentioning it in the reviews Lotto there we go there we go Lotto and it's short for something yeah I think that's right you know okay so one of the books that I was thinking of which is a book that you and I both loved so much was the stars are fire also. 
this setting. That setting is Maine in like the 1940s. And it's a small town in Maine that has been decimated by a fire. And the you talked about once one of the most memorable scenes in recent books for you was the scene of the people trying to escape the fire by basically jumping into the ocean and getting on boats so that they could escape this kind of encroaching wall of fire that was forcing them to the coast. I don't know, as I was sort of glimpsing through books on my shelf and looking through my blog to see what I wanted to talk about today, that one really jumped out at me. It's a remote mountainous place and you've got the fire and then you have the aftermath of the fire with the burnt out homes and the burnt you know, town. And I don't know, it's a... The character is menacing, the fire is menacing, the landscape is menacing. It all worked very well together. So that's definitely, for me, one where the setting was really important. Do you feel like when you're reading books that where some place is, is like a main character, do you feel like they affect you more emotionally? Do you remember them more? Do you tend to like them more? This is for both of you. Well, I can start. I mean, I would say not necessarily. I think probably depends on the place itself. If it's a place that I identify with because I know it and I can, you know, picture it, then I think my, the way I respond to it is a little bit different. But what I think I look for is a writer who makes me believe that that place, regardless of where it is, regardless of how unlikely that place is to exist as, you know, in the real world, as that writer describes it. If that person does a very good job and I believe it um, completely, then, you know, I will enjoy it for what it is. I think I, I look for something that, you know, one is well written, is described very well and um, just simply draws me in, just makes me believe that that place can exist or exist for the moment in that book exactly as that person describes it. Hmm. Yeah, good writing is always key. Gail? Yeah, to answer your question, Nicole, I think that a good setting definitely aids in remembering the book because it becomes an added sense. Like if you can picture it visually, what's going on, as opposed to just trying to remember the characters or remember the plot, I think it makes the story more well-rounded and it makes it easier to conjure it up later. Right. Yeah, when I'm thinking about stories that hop out at me when I think about two things that we've both read. Think about the Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, how much of a character that prison was, the creepy woods all around it, the different places on the grounds where the boys were taken and basically violated. When I think about Sing Unburied Sing and how much, you know, mm. the southern town, the land, the prison is just looming and, and influence not only, I guess, the book and how it's read, but how the characters, you know, how it so strongly shapes their lives. Then I think about Patsy by Nicole Dennis Ben, which gives, you know, especially as an American, when you're used to seeing Jamaica basically as a tourist place, you know, like everyone goes to the resorts and you don't really get a sense of what Jamaica is like, but that book just, it talks a lot about the colorism. It talks about where the people live who, you know, live in the hotels. And there's this very intricate story, you know, the the trees and just, just the landscape of Jamaica in such a different way than we normally encounter it. You know, those are the books. I do think a lot of the atmospheric books, you know, especially since I think the both of us, Gail, are very curious about other places mm -hmm. and how other people live. So I think that 
you know, when, when we were talking about doing this show, like a, just a bunch of different things popped to mind. And then I think of Rebecca, you know, by Daphne du Maurier, which is, I guess, going back to that Gothic sense where you have a foreboding house and the land is, is, is menacing, you know, plus creepy people. Yeah. Another one that jumped to mind to me, Nicole, which you and I both read is Golden Child by Clara Adam. Which Ooh, takes place that's another Trinidad. good example. Yeah. And you've got this house in Trinidad. You've got a couple of different houses. You've got the fancy uncle's house. And then you've got the more modest house where this family lives. And when the boy, one of the sons is kidnapped and you sort of start to follow him. He's like in the jungle almost is where he got picked out the forest or the jungle. I mean, that plays a big role in there and it, you can kind of feel the humidity and the tropical Caribbean nature of it. it to me, that was very powerful. I think it probably plays a, a role on us. I mean, and you can talk maybe a little bit about this, Gail, with Donna's book, you know, being basically for the most part city creatures and just reading about I think a lot of the places I've mentioned the countryside the landscape the activities that people do to kind of bring their living from the land interact with towns in the ways that we don't have them in cities so I think it's really memorable like if I'm walking down the street in New York a panther or an alligator is not going to pop up and cross my path but that's completely a thing in Florida or, you know, like when you talk about Trinidad and, and where they live, yes, they have houses and apartments, but they're also basically surrounded by forests. And he is, I think one of the boys does go and he hides there and he's captured. And, but it's just, it's, it's such a different landscape. And I also think that too, we have these myths that kind of crop up around for me, it's always just like, would you rather something happen in the city or the country? You know, if something horrible has to happen, you pick the city because you feel like, okay, I'll be stabbed or I'll be shot and it'll be quick. But at the countryside, you just feel like you're isolated and, and maybe things will happen over a long period of time and people can't rescue you. But that's just my... <laughs> No, I was just going to say it changes the story because the possibilities of what, you know, can happen or will happen or how your story will play out are, you know, directly tied to the location. You know, certainly when you're surrounded by water, what you're thinking about that is likely to happen is, you know, maybe a drowning. When you're in the city, I mean, not that a drowning couldn't happen in the city, but what you're thinking about, the, the fears that you would have would just be very different there. And I think as, as writers, that's one of the things that we have to think about is, you know, like how are we drawing from the location itself to help to build the story? What is it in the in the location that one is either helping you to build your character or is helping you to show something about that character that is, you know, like important or significant to the story itself. Right. So, Nicole and I like discuss this or analyze this from a much more passive way. We we sort of accept what's given to us as we read and react to it. Maybe not yeah. passive, reactive. Whereas for you, you're creating this world and you can manipulate it in whatever way you like to serve your purposes as a writer and what you need to do to, like you said, show character development or move your plot along. So you you're coming at this from the opposite angle of how Nicole and I usually do. Right. It's always good to hear how, you know, how your readers see it, mm -hmm. how you how you experience it. Well, I think with your book, I mean, the contrast between Jamaica and Brooklyn is so stark. You know, you've got urban and rural. You've got this lush versus city. You've got 
you know, much more sort of not primitive, but much more limited ways of getting around places versus the subway and the craziness of Brooklyn. And I loved that contrast and how it kind of demarcates two different parts of Plum's life. Like she's got her life in Jamaica where she suffers this horrendous loss. And then you've got Brooklyn, which is her, you know, moving on and or at least trying to move on or reconstructing a life for herself while still clearly very affected by the loss of her daughter and, and never letting it go. And then you've got in the end, a kind of intertwining of those two worlds when they intersect in New York and she's able to, well, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, they... Their, their paths cross again, and you get to hopefully get some sort of a resolution for what happened. Right. And, you know, I think that the two different settings really provide a good kind of backbone for the, the two parts of the story. And I think for me, writing it, it's, you know, it was a lot about perspective, because as a, um, for Plum, since she had lived in both places, she you know, went to Jamaica as a teenager and lived there for a few years and she had, you know, grown, was born in Brooklyn, grew up in Brooklyn. So she was able to see Jamaica as somebody who lives there and as a tourist. And so what she experiences, what she is able to describe will be very different from what, you know, like somebody who has only lived in Jamaica would describe or somebody who has only lived in Brooklyn would describe or would see. And so I, I think it was important for me, partly because I have had both of those experiences when I go back to Jamaica. I'm looking at Jamaica, not just as a Jamaican, but I'm also looking at it as somebody who has lived away from Jamaica for a significant amount of time. And so there are some things that I, you know, will pay attention to after, you know, being here in the winter, you know, one of the things that you will pay attention to is just, you know, is the sunshine, is the vegetation, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, the colors in the trees, the, you know, like how blue the water is. And so I think some of that sort of stuff shows up in the way in which I describe Jamaica in the book, because that is what Plum is seeing as somebody who is in some ways both a tourist and a, and a resident. And I think it's the same thing when she comes back to Brooklyn. She sees Brooklyn in a, in a different way because she's looking at it now, you know, having been away for, I think, about four or five years, she is seeing Brooklyn in a different way. She's seeing it as somebody, you know, in some ways almost fresh. She has a very different perspective of, you know, the city that she grew up in and loved. And, um, yeah. it's, you know. She's coming at it as an adult too. Adult, you know, adult right. who has suffered loss and is jaded and is not this, you know, teenager anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yes, I think that loss changes, you know, what she sees. Because when she comes back to Brooklyn, one of the things that she thinks about is how much the city has moved on around her and she is still in some ways standing still, you know, which is not what most people would say about New York at all. It, I mean, it is moving and she does see that it's growing, but in a different way. Because what she's seen is the growth and movement of the friends um, she had left when she moved to Jamaica. It's a good contrast, I think. Can I ask a question for people who have not yet read this book? This will be a little spoilery. So I would say fast forward a couple minutes. If you haven't read Tea by the Sea and you don't want a spoiler. And my question for you is, if there was a chapter after the last one, is it a happy one or is it not a happy one? I think it's a happy one. It's a happy one. That's depending yeah, on that's how right. you... Don't crush Gail's <laughs> hopes and dreams. <laughs> the fact that you have to ask. <laughs> You're like, just give me a hint. No, it, it is a happy one. And I hoped that with the, I hope with the ending that people think of it and people see it as a, as a happy ending as opposed to a, a sad one. I, I hope so. 
I mean, you know, I what did. were you thinking? Yeah, were you I thinking did. Yeah, I did. I mean, it's it, the end is there's been a reunion and you want to hope that that reunion is going to lead to a an ongoing relationship. And I think that that was certainly what I took away from it. But, you know, I just wanted to get it from the source mm-hmm. that it was. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted it confirmed. <laughs> yes, I wanted that confirmed. Exactly. Yeah, I certainly hope that's the way people people read it. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. All right. Well, let's ask Donna the questions that we ask of guests who come on the show. So if you're, if you've skipped through the, didn't want to get the spoiler, you, it's safe to listen again. (laughs) So these are questions that Nicole and I like to ask people when they come on and gives us a little insight into you as a reader. So tell us about an author whose books you've read all of. Well, I don't want to cheat and, you know, give you a name of somebody who's written only one. Oh, I cheat all the time. <laughs> like I've read all their books. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anybody whose books where I've read every single thing other than Toni Morrison. For a while, I, you know, I was reading everything by Toni Morrison, but I have not read the last maybe two or three books that she had written. And outside of that, I don't know that I, I I haven't been able to come up with a, an author who's written, you know, like a significant number, whether four or five for whom I've read all of those books. And it might be something I need to change, but I haven't. Okay. What's a book that everyone other than you has read? I would say Harry Potter. Any Harry Potter book, I haven't read a single one in the series. That's the number one answer. That's our, and that's Nicole. Nicole and I, I, think, I, I think that Gail asks everyone before they come on the show, and if they don't say Harry Potter, she won't let them be a guest on the show. <laughs> I I'm surprised. Something's going thought. on there. It's Harry Potter. But then I guess we shouldn't be, I mean, this is a, basically, we read literary fiction and nonfiction and domestic suspense. I mean, those are, this, that's like the backbone of this show. So I yeah. guess it's not surprising that the people we would have on here, we've kind of self-selected our guests and audience. And Well, I hate to admit this, but I am bringing Harry Potter on vacation next Uh-oh. week. Gail. I know. My son and my husband read it together and they really liked it. And now they're reading the second one and my son is really eager for me to read it. And he keeps asking me to read it. So I... I might have to do it. <laughs> she ain't. <laughs> I'm looking for a new host. <laughs> Resignation right now. Um, okay, what's a book that everyone other than you liked? Moby Dick. Mm. I absolutely hated that book. I read it in grad school. Is that really everyone read. other than you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I've read so I've heard some people say that they liked it, and I I have yet to figure out why. But I absolutely hated that book. Yeah, um, I don't know if I ever read it, but I have no desire to. So yeah. I tried, or probably had to, or sort of had to, but didn't. Yeah, it's it was rough. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Okay, so if we gave you twenty five dollars right now, and we sent you with a mask and some hand sanitizer into it. <laughs> Socially distant bookstore where they were observing all of the appropriate regulations. What would you buy? Probably notebooks. First of all, I like writing in notebooks. I, you know, use them as my way to figure out, work my way through a story to figure out why I'm writing it, what it's about. And I don't think I can, you know, ever have too many. So I buy notebooks. And if there's anything left over, I would buy perhaps a cookbook. I like to have cookbooks. I don't usually use them, but I like to have them. So I would probably- <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of books. <laughs> I like to have them. I don't necessarily read them. 
I've decided that's my hobby is just finding books I want to read. doesn't mean it's books I'm going to read or will, you know, will ever get to, but I just like to look for them. There's a Japanese word, I think, for that. It's And I can't think of the name right now, but it's like it's you have large collections of books that you don't re- have not read. <laughs> It's potential. It's like, and I actually read someone once said it's about immortality. Like you feel like you just want to know that it will always be there for you, that you'll always have the chance if you, if you opted to have it. But yeah, it's definitely one of my hobbies is just finding books and then figuring out ways to procure them and put mm. them on <laughs> and never read them. Great. Well, that's all the questions that we have. Anything else that you want to add about your writing process or setting or the book in general? Oh, I asked her what before the show, before you got on, I asked her what book she's most looking forward to reading. Oh, I mean, uh, we know you we oh. got we sent you in there with your cookbook, but she mentioned a book. Oh, Love After Love? Right. It's set in Trinidad and it's um, by a woman called Ingrid Persaud. I've heard good things about it, so I am looking forward to reading that. So yes, perhaps that I would also buy with my $25. Oh my gosh. Maybe we need to budget. We'll give you 50 I know. We sent you in with $100. So you could get some notebooks. Cookbook and, and love, love after love. Yes, exactly. right. It sounds really good. It says an electrifying novel of love in its messiest forms, a complicated marriage, an unconventional family, and the shocking secrets that unite them from an award-winning Trinidadian author. Mm, that does sound good. So, yeah. All right. Well, Donna, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. It was great to talk to you and learn more about your process. And I like your insights about the role of setting, which I always, yeah, I don't give a lot of thought to what the author was actually sort of trying to accomplish with that rather than just sort of like, you know, accepting it as like, okay, well, this was just given. So that's a really interesting insight, which I'll think about going forward. I think it's always different or this, you draw attention to setting if you know something about it, because I think any other time you're just like, this is what it must be like there. I don't know. But, you know, you're probably very picky about DC. Donna, you're probably picky about Jamaica. You know, I know I'm definitely nitpicky about what I read and, and just much more active, I think, in having an opinion if books are set in New York or somewhere that I'm kind of familiar with their rhythms or right or something. So, But and also, think if you don't think about it that means the writer has done a good job because it it is seamless and it just is it feels perfect it feels right if something jars or stands out to you then it you know something might not be quite right right that's true if you're like this would never happen or if something is particularly noticeable Mm -hmm. yes well thanks for having me it was my pleasure and i really enjoyed this well thank you for coming on and until next time happy reading we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the readerly you can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.